us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, it is now time for more of the last comic shop. That's right. We are opening up the shop to newbies. And uh, we're going to talk about something they probably have never experienced, which is comics in the newspaper. Yes, there used <laughs> to be right. a thing called newspapers, and people would deliver them to your door, and you'd read them. Uh, not so much anymore. While we're keeping the lights on for the oldies that may remember those comic strips showing up in the Sunday papes or the daily papes, uh, those things the newsies would sell. Headlines don't sell papes. Newsies sell papes. <laughs> but... <laughs> Everyone across the globe surely has encountered the property that we are going to talk about today. Oh, absolutely. And not necessarily in comic strip form. It might come in uh, animated video, theatrical release, or most likely around the holidays with those specials that just about everyone I know except for J.A. loves. That's true. He's a heartless bastard. That doesn't like any of the peanut specials. And we will talk about that because we're talking about peanuts. That's right. If this isn't one of the most popular episodes of The Last Comic Shop, I will eat my hat. That's right. The host with the most hat, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Jay Scott, Chad Smith, as always. I'm additionally joined by my brother, Ethan Larson, who this is a special show for him because... From the days when Ethan was just a wee lad running around in short pants, I can recall him and his fond love of those wonderful Charlie Brown comic strips. Snoopy, Linus, Lucy, Schroeder, Lucy, Pigpen, Lucy, (laughs) Peppermint Patty, Lucy, Rerun. Frida, which I just finally figured out is that girl's name after years of uh, questioning who the one with the curly hair was. The naturally curly hair. That's your trivia answer for the day. And yes, and Andy, I think you're underselling this uh, because it wasn't just me. Like the Larsons, we loved Peanuts. Like that was like an institution. We passed down like the books over generations. Yes. We had six kids and then you hate Peanuts, so you can... I don't hate Peanuts. I just don't have... (laughs) I don't have any love for peanuts. It doesn't. It's not special in my heart. But the one thing that that surprises me about Charles Schulz's creation is just how wide the appeal is. Uh, we're all parents here. Uh, we all have kids, and generation after generation, there's something so uh, primal about the Peanuts characters that it doesn't matter what year it is, kids find a way to connect to Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus and Lucy and <laughs> Sally and Snoopy, Lucy. Goddamn it, Snoopy. I like Lucy! But there's a little bit of all of us, you know, in these characters wrapped up. There's just something for everybody except J.A. That's true. That's true. If, if, if we haven't hammered that home, J.A. hates the peanuts. <laughs> That's not true. For long-time listeners, you know that on our a lot of our quiz shows, there are a lot of questions that are peanut-based, and Jay does not have the background to know the minor characters or the minutia of what happened in the Charlie Brown, you know, Great Pumpkin special or the Christmas special. 
And uh, that often will result in me winning those quizzes. He's a Sometimes can be a little bitter about that. But I don't think it's actually peanut-based. No, I don't think so either. He does not have a peanut allergy, per se. But I will say this. Whether it was Ethan and my experience with uh, peanuts or Chad's experience with peanuts, lots of folks have some sort of positive experience with peanuts over the years. I think over the past half century since the peanuts were first developed by the legendary Charles Schultz, I feel like there's a reason why they are one of the most iconic comic book characters on the face of the planet. And in fact, this is a continuation of a previous conversation that we've had on other episodes of The Last Comic Shop. Make sure that you're checking out the archives for our episode about One Piece and Lucky Luke, which uh, we talked about the top-selling comic book collected volumes of all time now ethan you gave us this list back in the day and one piece was number one asterix was number two what was number three peanuts uh, go go 13 is fourth lucky luke is fifth and this is and so everybody knows i don't think you could actually talk to somebody that doesn't know peanuts because they are an alien from a different planet that or J.A., who doesn't know. <laughs> All right, I think we should give him a chance to to defend himself a little bit. Just a few. Uh, yeah, so growing up, I read the Peanuts news strip in the Sunday papers, along with a lot of other news strips. The aforementioned Mark Trail, which I'm still waiting for us to do a review on that. The one that really spoke to me, which I will talk about later in the show, Calvin and Hobbes. But growing up without a television, I never watched any of the holiday specials, any of the animated stuff, which I think a lot of people, while they say they know Peanuts from the news strip and, and sort of that was their introduction to Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Lucy and Woodstock and Lucy and Pink Pen and Lucy, <laughs> I think it's actually the animated movies that everyone really remembers. That's what captured them, and I didn't have that. So to me, it was just one of many comic strips you would read on a Sunday in the Sunday Funnies. I can honestly feel that's a defendable point. Because I feel like a lot of folks do know more about the Peanuts from either the TV specials and or just their enormous, I don't know, footprint when it comes to marketing and advertising. Whether or not that's Hallmark or MetLife or like any of these organizations that use the Peanuts over the years. I mean, that was one of the major reasons people saw them most. And the Peanuts music. Right? Everyone knows the Peanuts music. I even remember watching The Firm, that John Grisham novel turned into a movie with Tom Cruise. And there's the scene where he's running across the bridge to get from the island back to the mainland. And there's a bunch of piano music. And my sister, Anne, would always say, why are they playing the Peanuts music for this? This is not action scene music. <laughs> oh, and is there a more depressing song than da, 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 like Charlie Brown walking away? Like that's awesome. cultural shorthand for sadness. So I think JA did bring up a point though, which is like as we continue to move further and further away from print media, right? Because it's happening. Newspapers are a dying industry or whatever like that. The whole notion of the comic strip. Uh, is something that we are all very acclimated to. 
given that we we grew up in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and those were a, a major part of our society do you feel like characters like the peanuts characters like garfield characters like popeye you know it's because of these animated things that that that, that they will continue and and no longer will people read the comic strips with these characters but i i think ja really hit on it because basically anybody that became popular of the comic strips was on television and i think television still has that power to captivate people more than the newspaper unfortunately has or had basically when the peanut special came out in 1965 people had three television stations uh, or maybe four depending on if public broadcasting network was was one of those stations they had to basically watch the peanuts special and to watch it year after year after year after year running uh, unopposed every holiday season since 1965 and you know television still has that capability you talk about whether they're the new people, the Peppa Pigs, the Bluey, the, your new Peanuts characters are basically these new characters that were founded on television. I don't even think newspapers had that hold on people back in the day. I think it was that when they graduated to another medium, which was more popular, they became the central point. I think if you're thinking about your, your Flash Gordon was 1934, was when nobody had a television. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. To to play devil's advocate, uh, you know, Jay brought up Calvin and Hobbes. And I was just at my local Target recently, and they're selling the complete Calvin and Hobbes. There's still remnants of those things, even though Calvin and Hobbes never had a TV show. You know, Bill Watterson was notorious for not wanting to license out his characters. And so you would get, uh, you know, those knockoffs of Calvin peeing on different things. You know, you get those stickers at the beach in the summertime. Like, oh, he's peeing on a Chevy logo. Oh, look, that rascally Calvin peeing on a Ford logo. Oh, that Calvin peed on a lot of things. He's got a lot of... on a Kia. But, uh, ladder. You know, but no, there there is a certain amount of staying power. If you talk to people of our generation about things like the far side, I, I'm sure a lot of folks are going to remember that fondly. But without that imprint, I guess... What you're saying is, I, I can see that point. It needs to transcend into another level. Otherwise, uh, it's lost. And I always worry about how kids today have access to everything. Not literally everything, but they have access to so much. How do you decide what it is you're going to watch? And so there are some old standards, like the Peanuts cartoons, like the Grinch and things like that. I, I know my kids have loved, and those are the things they request year after year. But how much of that is about the quality of the thing or versus the tradition of the thing or just the familiarity of the thing? Or or the fact that their parents have introduced it to them. Because let's be honest, what kids decide to watch is whatever the algorithm on YouTube gives them next. That's true. Yeah. And luckily for some of us, we are the algorithm. We're like, hey, we're just going to throw this in on. And if they like it, great. But I I, I will say this. I, I... didn't they name the thing that landed on the moon Snoopy? They like, did. They, so, like, again. Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Right. Yeah, the, and and that didn't come from the television show. That became because people at that time were reading newspapers daily, and the Peanuts was one of the most popular strips out there. As we'll get to in this, the heyday, the golden age of Charles Schultz's Peanuts on today's program. 
Ethan did a magnificent job of doing all this research. We'll be right back after these commercial breaks with that research, as well as the entire run of strips from 1965 and 1966. All the dailies, all the Sunday strips of the Peanuts. So stay tuned for that. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comet Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code L-C-S-P-O-D today. That's L-C-S-P-O-D. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Okay, so we are back, and we are talking about Peanuts. The comic strip ran for 50 years. I think one thing that we didn't mention, probably also, not just because it had all these television specials, but also its longevity, cementing itself in the culture, especially American culture. Let's be honest. It's very American-centric. But we are doing the complete Peanuts 1965 to 1966, as Andrew mentioned. This is really one of the peak periods of Schultz's creativity. And it's already a third of the way through the whole comic strip's life. So he's been doing it for a while. You know, Snoopy has become sort of a dominant character throughout this this run. You get the classic Red Baron dogfights. Peppermint Patty is introduced, I believe, in these two years. Yep. And also, though not named, Woodstock shows up for the first time. A lot happening. Ethan, I think, has pulled some research on what Charles Schultz was drawing from as he, as he was doing this strip. First off, I wanted to start off, but we were talking about what kind of created the Peanuts phenomenon is one of the biggest things was the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Charlie Brown Christmas special came out in 1965 and won an Emmy that same year. Uh, so this is that during that period when he was being celebrated for another form of media outside of his comic strip. So he's being recognized for some of his, let's say, brilliance. In 1966, Charles Schultz's studio burnt down, which actually fits into one of the story arcs where Snoopy's house actually burns down. Snoopy's personal Van Gogh also burns down at the house. It's replaced by uh, the painter uh, Andrew Wyeth. He's a realistic painter, an inspiration for Charles Schultz. Obviously, they did completely different works, but he was one of Charles Schultz's favorite artists. And also, uh, Charles Schultz turned 40 in 1962. So there was a couple uh, issues in 1965, the run, that really spoke to me because obviously I just turned 40 this year. And there was a lot of talk about kids' dads turning 40 and, and having some jokes about that. So 
put in also the 1966 the land that was actually um uh, charles Schultz had owned he'd owned it for a while after the studio burnt down he sold it actually to um some churches during the time in 1971 and now the entire property is up to sale in 2023 so wow i mean charles schultz died unfortunately in 2000 uh but we are you know, remembering his legacy is almost uh, 25 years to the uh, day of his passing. So, And his uh, his strip, as he prophesied, outlived himself because he would do so many in advance and send them off to the publisher. His last, yeah. The last peanut strip was published after his death. Yeah. Well, here comes the 10 cent synopsis for two years worth of peanuts. Comic strips, you know. Again, for the last comic shop fans out there that are used to doing getting a ten cent synopsis, I will do my best to at least synopsisize some of the big points. The first thing that happens that I can really recall is that Snoopy falls in love with somebody while he's ice skating. There's that storyline that happens. There's another storyline where the Great Pumpkin, which I think this is the second year now the Great Pumpkin's been in existence. I think he was introduced in 1964. So in 1965, you got Charlie Brown really laying into Linus about how he can believe in the Great Pumpkin. Speaking of which, by 1966, the Great Pumpkin's become such a thing that like even Peppermint Patty becomes a devotee. She's only been around for like three days. Uh, in the strip, but she's already like, yeah, I believe in the Great Pumpkin, yelling at Linus over the phone. Well, just like shit from camp. Yeah. Charlie Brown makes friends with him one summer, and then he meets Linus the next summer. Right. Yeah, I'd, have to, I'd have to say, if the intensive synopsis is about this peanut strip, I'd say camp is a very central subject in this, because you have two years worth of camp, and then you introduce Peppermint Patty because of camp, because Roy was the friend of Peppermint Patty. Right? And there are birds. There are some birds that show up that don't look anything like Woodstock. They slowly but surely get around to looking like Woodstock by the end of 1966. But still, I was like kept, kept on looking at these birds and having to give them a stink eye because I was just like, I don't know about this Woodstock. Mm. I mean, this, is, this is like early Snoopy drawings. Like I'm like, I don't know. Eventually it may come around, but... Um, if I mentioned Lucy again, it's because she's very, very prominent in these strips. It's Lucy, Charlie Brown, Linus, and Snoopy. They're the four main characters. Everybody else shows up from time to time, but those are the th- four main that, that Charles Schultz really leans on. Get some back team. Get some iodine. <laughs> I, did wanna, I did want to mention is there's a story with Sally, which is uh, Charlie Brown's sister, having an eye issue. But it actually happens in real time where she has to go to the doctor. They said the doctor says she only has two more months. And so you keep reading the series and eventually they come back to the eye story after that two month period. Say that her eye is fixed. So it's a very nice callback that Charles Schultz is doing within these comics and using the, the actual time frame of the, the comics. So the, the characters don't age but their storylines age, which is nice, because you actually, going back to the camp concept, you have the 1965 where Charlie Brown goes to camp, the 1966 where Linus goes to camp and meets the same character, Roy. Right. Uh, By the way, speaking of which, I don't think we ever even mentioned this. You can get all of these in awesome hardbacks, Fantagraphics put them out 
Uh, so we're reading the actual volume that Fantagraphics put out of 1965 through 1966, all of the dailies plus the uh, Sunday strips. But that's I think I'm going to where I'm going to start with my initial thoughts for this particular thing because I, I I won't lie, there were a lot of the 1965 strips that I had never read before, but definitely the 1966 strips. By the time I got to that, it's amazing how Charles Schultz is a massive stickler. For continuity, almost to the point where it kind of seems like, I don't know, the 616 from Marvel. Like he had this universe that these characters existed in so well mapped out. When I was reading Peanuts, either whether I was an eight year old or now, I, I don't like the Sunday strips because they have nothing to do with the story. I would rather read the dailies because that's telling me a story. It's wonderful in that regard, up until the fact that, like, Charles Schultz just decides to just stop that story, like, all of a sudden, he's just like, ah, I'm going to move on to something else. Because it happens sometimes. There's this one story where, like, Charlie Brown becomes Safety the, the, the crossing guard, and he gets hit by a car. At the same time, he's supposed to be doing a science project with the real little redhead girl. Yeah, I might fail this project. And then nothing happens. Like, and what? I was just like, well, what about the project? What about his science? <laughs> there was one particular strip in 1966 that bothered me to no end. And I almost like had to put the book down for a little bit because they were telling a story that was basically taking place in winter about the New Year's. Then there was this one random insert where Snoopy was dancing and I think it was just that they had this, like, that he had, like, an extra strip that didn't have words in it or whatever. So he'd fit the story into whatever the strip was telling. But Lucy was wearing a dress. And, like, it looked like it was obviously, like, summer because, like, they're in the grass and there was no hint of being cold. And then they go right back to the cold <laughs> aesthetic. I'm just like, if so you're you got tell sucked the, into that, though. Story, like, you have to keep the, the trend up. You're telling a winter story. Keep the winter there. I know you needed a filler episode for that strip because you had to meet your deadline. But come on, Charles. So what you, are you got doing? sucked into that story, too. Like that I, was like the daily in the story. That's what you were reading yeah, the book for. I mean, that's I do that, man. Like when I get into peanuts, like I'm into peanuts, man. Like I we're, we're reading peanuts because of me. So I have to take the full responsibilities. One of the biggest peanuts nerds on this show so I'm like, if you're going to be, you know, this particular about certain stuff, Charles Schultz also takes his time when introducing a new character. He does not do it with, like, little intent of thinking about them. He had a baseline for Peppermint Patty, and he knew when exactly to put her in, and then this is going to be his character moving forward. So it bothers me that he would be stickler about this, but then also have this panel that's, you know, grass and not wearing coats. Yeah, I don't know, guys. Um, here's my thing. I enjoyed this. I love the timelessness of the whole Peanuts cartoons. And the fact is, Charles Schultz has these characters and their motivations and their reactions to things. It's all very natural. But this is not the way that uh, these strips were intended to be uh, internalized, right? Uh, there were no collections at that time of comic strips, let alone, you know, giant two year long sets. And that was actually honestly a struggle for me is reading more than a couple of pages at a go. You know, they're all great. They're all charming. 
but when I would read more than 20 or 30 pages, it would just start to lose me because this isn't meant to be the great American novel. This is meant to be read nine panels at a time, put it down the next day. All right. Maybe it's the same story. Maybe it's not. There's another nine panels, you know, and and you get those human foibles and everything else. So I'm actually on the opposite end of the spectrum to, to expect that continuity, I think is disingenuous because you didn't know if a newspaper reader was just going to get the Sundays or if they were going to get the strip every day. You know, you just take it as it comes. Yeah, yeah, we're coming out of this era of peak television where every show has like 10 episodes or 12 episodes. And this kind of reminds me of somebody who goes back and wants to binge watch Friends or or 15 seasons of It's Always Sunny. How, how many episodes are, yeah. are It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia do they have? A million. Or The Simpsons or something, where, where if you watch each episode, one after the other, one after the other, you start to see very similar patterns, very similar story structures repeated again, jokes told in a, a similar way, because you're not meant to be watching them or reading them all at once. And that's the big thing I struggled with, same as Chad, is after a couple of them, it's like, ugh, it's not building towards something so much as it's just you're the same characters in slightly different scenarios. That's why you're reading it. You're reading it for the characterizations and the dialogue, not so much for the plot. You probably read the first couple of comic strips about Charlie Brown and the last comic strips about Charlie Brown. 50 years later, Charlie Brown hasn't changed that much. He hasn't gone on the uh, the great hero's journey, right? That's not why you read this. Well, that's one thing that I wanted to kind of bring up, and maybe Ethan might disagree, because I think, like, we're in two camps here. Like, the folks that don't read this because of the continuity and the folks that do. (laughs) I will say this, point blank, that as a young child, and then later as I grew up reading the Peanuts and enjoying the Peanuts, I never found the Peanuts funny. They were never funny. They were like, oh, that's clever, I guess. But I never laughed out loud like I did at Garfield or Calvin and Hobbes or Farside. Those ones, I kind of laughed. So when I was reading Peanuts, I had to read for some other reason. Some other thing was drawing me to the Peanuts. Some people may call it like that tomato soup thing where, you know, it's comfort food and it makes you feel nice and warm and cozy to read the peanuts and maybe that's part of it but honestly and i don't know if ethan disagrees with me but the main reason i was reading the peanuts after a while is because of the stories i wanted to see what happened next to the characters very similar to what i would do if i was watching it's a great race charlie brown and i wanted to see whether or not charlie brown and his four friends and their little raft would make it across the the finish line before the bad goons did i just wanted to see that and so for me, these characters were never funny. They were they were charming in a different way. I felt a connection to them like they were real people. And I wanted to see kind of like a reality show, like what was going to happen next. Yeah, but from all the AI interpretations of Wendy's commercials that you've sent me, you have a weird sense of humor, my friend. So that's all I have to think about that. I'm like I was dying at Sydney in the bush. That that's my humor, man. Like you repeat the same joke over and over again, and it's eventually funny because you just say it over and over again. It's it's a nonsense phrase that that comes on in over and over again. That's peanuts to me, man. And so peanuts does that 
and that's kind of shaped my sense of humor actually over for the for the past 40 years and i think i want to kind of disagree with what chad was bringing up is that they said that, that this wasn't meant to be consumed in this way because they wouldn't be putting peanuts compendiums since like the 1970s of these dog-eared books that were passed down from generation to generation if they weren't intended to be read by like in this fashion and they wouldn't have continuing stories either that would actually hook you in I know that you guys had said if you read the Spider-Man dailies long enough, they'll retell the same stories over and over again. And I guess that's a, that's true to a certain extent of Peanuts. They'll say the same gag over and over again. But I think to say that you know that there wasn't continuity, there wasn't storylines, and that there weren't things that were naturally hooking you from one week after the next, I think is dis- disingenuous. I think it was intended to be read in this fashion and in some shape or form because i think there were weirdos like me that were cutting out the actual strips and putting them into their own books and reading them themselves at least i want to hope so because i don't think i'll be late again in the <laughs> 2000s and 20s if i don't think there's somebody else out there that did this i i did it ethan just not with peanuts <laughs> i cut out calvin and hobbs yeah, I cut out Farsides and Calvin and Hobbes. And I, I'm not saying that it's not, you know, like we have these nice compendiums these days. And, you know, they've taken a lot of the things that when we were growing up or when they were originally created, they were disposable. You know, the, the Spider-Man comics that everybody goes gaga over, the Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, they were meant to be read and tossed aside. You know, they were simple entertainment. And later on, we brought all this extra importance to them and, you know, recognize like, oh, they were doing great things here. And I think Charles Schultz is a genius. And it's hard to deny his genius in terms of characterization and, you know, the fun, simplistic gags and the fact that it's so relatable. Like, there's something. I Just anybody you talk to, and I, I don't like to speak in such generalities, the Peanuts has maintained its popularity because so many people can relate to some aspect. Is it, you know, having that friend that's Lucy who's, you know, has a little bit of a mean streak? You know, is it your friend that has the security blanket? Maybe you're, you know, good old Charlie Brown, always getting knocked down off the pitcher's mound. You know, there's there's genius there. But I guess for me personally, what I was saying was Sitting down and trying to read 300 pages of Charlie Brown strips, that was tough. Well, I don't think that was the intention. I I will say this. The one thing that was really tough for me about reading all of these strips back to back to back was like, boy, just Charles Schultz just put Charlie Brown through the ringer. (laughs) Like when you read them back to back to back, this guy never gets a break. Yeah, that's his shtick, right? And that's why you're supposed to find him lovable. But man, permanently stuck in purgatory, punished by a creator week in and week out, like Charlie Brown. I felt bad for him. I felt like, give this guy a hug. Like, I'm, Yeah, I'm glad we only did two years because I didn't know if I could do more years of them losing every baseball game. It, it hit a little bit too close to home for this Buckos fan. There you go. <laughs> I will say this, the uh, the most interesting thing I think about all of this is is when this was uh, released, too. I, I started thinking about it from a historical context. There's two years, right, where both Charlie Brown and Linus get s- sent to camp. 
And that's happening at the same time that folks were being sent over to Vietnam. There's a one panel where like Charlie Brown and he goes to camp and he survived his camp and he's on his way back and he looks at the people waiting to go to camp and he's like, I did my time. And all I could think of was like, that's to the GIs that were coming home from, from Vietnam saying, yep, I did my tour. That's it. That's where the, the genius lies. We're, we're reading some of these stories and, you know, whether it was Sally having to deal with having a lazy eye, whether it was Snoopy and his house burning down, whether it was the, you know, the redheaded girl and how, she, you know, Charlie Brown's out there getting himself hit by cars. She doesn't remember who he is. I don't know. I, I just keep going back to how relatable it is. I think- I think one of the interesting points that I want to point out in this compendium, looking back on it as a historical perspective, Andy, I know you said that you referenced the camp thing. There are actually jokes, two or three panels worth of Charlie Brown saying straight up, I'm being drafted in the uh, trip to camp. So he, it's definitely playing into that camp is war metaphor of the GI and Charles Schultz did serve in world war two. Uh, so it's very apropos of him to make those jokes, especially when the United States is going back to war during that period. I think of this too, as also Charlie Brown and his gang, the peanuts gang, they're all boomers. Right. And so like, there's this one <laughs> panel where Lucy says, you know, what are we going to do with this generation? We're going to stick it to the next. And I was like, that's the boomer mentality, man. So that's that's my millennial point of view of looking at these characters saying like totally we're gonna take advantage of all these tax breaks that were given to us and then we're gonna make sure that we change the code so that everyone who comes after us doesn't get the tax breaks and we still get the tax breaks like somehow easy for us to buy a house yes no barber and housemaker can afford a house. And a relatively okay. Enough with this. We got a, we got more peanuts right after these commercial breaks. We got our ratings for how we're gonna rate peanuts. I don't know. Stay tuned. Cartoon dumpster dive. I'm your host Joel, and I'm your host Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We painstakingly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. LastComicShopPodcast.com is the destination for all things shop. Plan your week with upcoming show schedules, the latest books, recommendations, and chatter from the crew. Subscribe to the show on all major podcasting platforms from one convenient location. Show your support and browse the merch store. T-shirts, tanks, hoodies for the fam, coffee mugs, magnets, totes, and more. Check out exclusive content through the show's YouTube channel and follow the pod on Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, and others. All this and so much more at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com Alright, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we have the unenviable task of rating peanuts, which some people might find sacrilegious? I don't know. Regardless of how churchy Linus is, honestly, it's just a comic strip. Very popular. Some people love it a lot. 
but uh, we've got a one out of four scale like we always do for these things. And uh, again, we're only just rating the years of 1965 and 1966, which you can pick up in this Fanagraphics thing. So, J.A., is our rating scale this week weird-looking Woodstocks? Because that really bothered me. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not going with the proto-Woodstock. Obviously, Charles Schultz hadn't quite nailed the look of Woodstock yet, having just introduced him. No, we're going to go with... One out of four uh, Linus security blankets. Not Red Baron pizzas? No, no, no. I reckon I reckon this is this is a bit of a security blanket for some of you growing up. So I think that scale works on more than one level. And it plays in well to our theme because Linus uh, signs up for the security blanket of the month club. So he would have more than (laughs) four security blankets. you got to say, too, I think in one of the books I read, they talked about how this popularized the term security blanket. Absolutely. So I'll go first with my rating this week. I was hoping for jelly bread sandwiches, which just seemed weird to me that you would just eat jelly and not peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But whatever. I'm going to give this a four. I mean, I, it's hard for me not to give some of the best years of peanuts a four. And honestly, uh, unlike my compatriot Chad, wasn't falling asleep because of peanuts um well maybe i was but i was falling asleep happy (laughs) i won't lie that i read this particular book before i went to bed every single night and some of the strips did blur into each other as i was calmly but peacefully enjoying peanuts as my end of the day treat and that's really what this is Maybe my comment earlier about peanuts being tomato soup for me is apropos, because it is. It's comfort. Here I was laying in my bed uh, in the dead of winter, just reading some comic strips from Charles Schultz. And after about five or six pages, I would start feeling a little bit drowsy, but in a good way, like a glass of warm milk. And so, Harrison Keeler all the same. Oh my goodness! You know what? There were some really good stories too. I really love the idea of uh, Sally having the eye patch and uh, trying to get Linus to break his habit of having the blanket. But boy, did I absolutely love the Great Pumpkin stories in this collection. The story about Charlie Brown giving Linus the business about the Great Pumpkin. And then the second year of Linus actually having an acolyte that surpasses him in devotion to the Great Pumpkin. When he tells the good news to Peppermint Patty and she calls him in the middle of the night and he's like, don't bother me with this. I thought was just priceless. That panel of him zonked out. <laughs> if you're having good in the pumpkin patch only. <laughs> I just thought that was wonderful. Chad. Okay. So as Andy alluded to, and I, I was telling the guys before this man, O'Day, I would read 20 pages of this and then fall asleep and another 20 pages and fall asleep. And it's not that it was bad, but for me it was not meant to be consumed you know, back to back to back. Some things are, are good, sometimes foods. And Andy brought up earlier that, you know, the Peanuts, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, it's not funny, hilarious, haha. You know, it's insightful. It's, you know, quirky. It's 
idiosyncratic and that's what makes it wonderful and i i've often wondered like watching my kids watch the charlie brown specials like the great pumpkin makes no sense whatsoever but you get those moments where you know i got a rock why would everyone in the neighborhood give charlie brown a rock <laughs> like how cruel were those people in that neighborhood they're giving everybody else candy they're giving lucy double candy because her stupid brother's out in the fields waiting for the great pumpkin and they, every, everybody just gives Charlie Brown a rock. What sort of demented town do they live in? <laughs> I, I don't know. There's an underlying hopefulness or joy or something about it that is wonderful. And so I, I'm going to do some sacrilege, though. I'm not going to go with the full four. Because like I said, at the end of the day, there's always been a part of me that's like, why? Why does everyone love Charlie Brown? There's a part of me where it just doesn't click. There's There's a disconnect. And as much as I love to say how relatable it is, there's another part of me that's like, yeah, it's not, it's not as funny as Calvin and Hobbes. No, it's not as weird and you know as uh, the Far Side. You know what is it out there? And I I haven't been able to figure that out. So for that purpose, I'm going to leave a little bit of wiggle room. I'm going to give this a 3.75. I do think Charles Schultz is a genius. I do think his characters, his creations, you know, deserve to live forever. But I also don't know why. <laughs> so 3.75. All right, Jay, you're up next. Yeah, I think I have to agree with Chad with the 3.75 security blankets. Um, you know, I get how important to the culture. And by the culture, I mean the American culture. Let's be honest here. While it might be a worldwide thing, it is primarily an American thing. Charlie Brown. I, people in the Philippines don't know who Charlie Brown is. I bet you, people would know who Snoopy was. You show somebody a picture Snoopy, of Snoopy. Snoopy, yes. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That, that, but not from the comic strip. They know it from the mass marketing that is Charlie Brown. Because there are other bits of Charlie Brown. It's not just the comic strip. It is now, I mean, he has been marketed to death. The commercialization of it is oh, bar none. So The irony. Yes, the, the irony. Simplicity of the line art, I think the the stories that yes are quirky but not necessarily laugh out loud funny keep you warm on a cold night on Lake Wobegon as Andrew was going on about. <laughs> they are nice to sit down and have them. I don't know if I would have a library with all twenty five volumes, but maybe one or two where you can go and pull out and read a couple from time to time if you've read it. Growing up, it reconnects you with your childhood. If you've never read it before and you don't have a lot of insight or cultural cachet with Charlie Brown, like I think my sons who did not grow up with Charlie Brown at all, they would struggle with this. They wouldn't find it necessarily as entertaining as we did. And I think part of that is because of the medium that we consumed it in television and newspapers that they don't. Now, I don't know. Now, if there was a Charlie Brown YouTube thing where you could watch five-minute Charlie Brown YouTubes all the time, maybe maybe that would be a thing. I don't know. J.A., I really want this experiment to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you really need to sit your kids down and force them through whatever means, bribery or whatever, and just see if they connect. Because everyone I've ever met somehow finds a way to connect to Charlie Brown. And I'd be curious, without any... You know, outside influence, like, you know, are they going to laugh at how cruel Lucy is? You know, the psychiatric help booth and all that other stuff. I 
I, I really want that to happen. <laughs> one scene where she says it's the difference between being humble and wishy-washy, and she's like, you're wishy-washy. I'm humble. <laughs> she doesn't explain it. She just says, I'm the difference. Ethan, this is your pick this week. Your pick for the century. Uh, I'm going to start out the conversation by I'm a Larson, so of course it's a four. Like, what, 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 are, what are we doing here? I kept reading. I read 1967. Um, I wanted to go back to something J.A. said. I really sincerely appreciate that J.A. is on here and giving a non-American view on this subject because it's very necessary because I sometimes struggle with what Peanuts means. to it's, it's almost like the Mickey Mouse experiment. What does Mickey Mouse mean outside of the United States? Is he a cultural icon? Does he mean as much to people in the Philippines as he does here? I don't know. And that's the same thing with Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Peanuts in general. Uh, but I will say this. I will say that my daughter, who is very interested in comic books, has read several comic books in her life, kept picking this up and saying... Because we, uh, Andrew and I have both the 50s, 60s, and 70s collections. She kept looking at the 60s collection and kept asking me questions about it. She kept saying, is this all of the issues from the 60s? Is this everything that was published? You know, what is this that you're reading, Dad? What is this that you're interested in? So I, I think that there's a general appeal for somebody that's outside of if you're even remotely related into comic books or have a general interest in comic books, I think that you'll be drawn to peanuts because especially if you live in the United States, you already know these characters. You've seen Snoopy, you've seen the Christmas special and you want to learn a little bit more about them. And isn't that what this whole freaking show is about is trying to get people that are interested in comic books to try to branch out or if they're into this comic book, they might be into, into the next comic book. Then Peanuts is a natural gateway for that. So, again, it's a four for me. It'll be a four for the rest of my life. And um, I'm just glad that we're actually covering this on this show. So it is, I think it's massively important. Well, one other thing that's massively important is recommendations. But they're important to some people, or else we would have cut this segment from the show about three years ago. In any case, on recommendations every single week, we give you other comic books. In addition to the Fantagraphics collection of 1965 and 1966 of Peanuts, and a wonderful hardbound copy that you can pick up, uh, in addition to, as J.A. said, like 25 other volumes. But in any case, these are other comic books that you can pick up in addition to uh, that particular collection or other collections that these strips appear in because there are tons of other ones. And we're going to go ahead and start off with J.A. Scott. So, J.A., why don't you take it away with our first recommendation? Okay, I'm going to recommend Calvin and Hobbes. Now, if you know Calvin and Hobbes, then you probably want to buy the complete Calvin and Hobbes, which is a beautiful and apparently very heavy three-volume <laughs> tome that has everything from 1985 to 1996. If you haven't read Calvin and Hobbes or you just want to get your feet wet a bit, you just you can just pick up volume one in paperback for less than $10 on Amazon. And uh, I'm going to end with the best quote. And this is from the, uh, the foreword of the the volume one from Gary Trudeau. So then you know it's. Oh, he won a Pulitzer. Always Damn it. Quote 
Most people who write comic dialogue for minors demonstrate surprisingly little feel for or faith in the original source material, that is, childhood, in all its unfettered and winsome glory. It is in this respect that Bill Watterson has proved as unusual as his feckless creations Calvin and Hobbes. Watterson is the reporter who's gotten it right, childhood as it actually is. Like setting up to be like I don't know a Hatfields versus McCoys thing. Do you like peanuts? I like Calvin and Hobbes. I like peanuts. I don't know. It's how how can you not love a comic strip that posits that heaven is at Pittsburgh? <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of comic strips, I'm going to go with my recommendation, and mine, unlike Calvin and Hobbes, is probably one that nobody on the face of the planet has actually ever heard of. And that's Captain Easy. That's right. Roy Crane, way back in the 1930s, came out with a spinoff of a character that uh, originally appeared in his comic strip, Washboard Tubs, called Captain Easy. Now, for those folks that may be like, what the hell are you talking about? Captain Easy is a soldier of fortune, kind of like Indiana Jones running around the world getting involved with like land wars in Asia and or like finding sunken cities or running away from headhunters, uh, searching for lost treasures and things like that. That typical, exciting, swashbuckling, two-fisted, gun-toting super soldier uh, of that particular time. And um, it's been collected also in wonderful hardbound volumes by Fancy Graphics, which you can find. And what I love about these particular hardbound collections that you can get from Fancy Graphics is they're oversized. Yes, they are enormous books, about the similar size as a Sunday strip. And primarily, that's where Captain Easy appeared in. He was primarily a Sunday strip character, and Roy Crane was uh, loved the Sunday strip format just simply because of how much room he had to tell stories versus the dailies. So from a, a storytelling perspective, very visually interesting. And the stories are kind of clever and the colors are really neat. Chad. Similar to how Charles Scholes is a, an author, is a creator that just gets it, that there's something about those Peanuts cartoons that just feels right. I'm going to go with a writer, a modern comic writer, who is the same for superhero comics, and that is Mark Wade. And one of the works that he came out with last year uh, was The World's Finest, and there was a Teen Titans miniseries. Uh, it was a six-issue miniseries written by Wade with art by Emanuela Lupacino. Uh, and there were some gorgeous covers by Chris Somney. Uh, but this follows the original Teen Titans, the uh, the Aqua Lab, the Speedy, the Kid Flash, Robin and Wonder Girl and Bumblebee. Uh, Mal Evans makes an appearance in the miniseries. They modernize it. So it's those characters in our modern times, which means Robin gets to wear pants. But also it's those teenage dynamics and... Like I, I said earlier, Mark Wade just understands these characters. You know, there's issues where they're working as a team. There's issues where everything's breaking down and they're getting in each other's face. 
it just felt right. And so it's a, a mini series that's just worth your time. And if you, you see it, you shouldn't pass it up. It's the world's finest six issue Teen Titans run. Uh, by the time this airs, it'll probably be collected out there. Definitely worth checking out. All right. And with our final recommendation, Ethan has another book by Mark Wade. Uh, very similar. And I've been waiting probably four to five years to recommend this book, uh, but it's one of my highest recommendations. Uh, it is it is Mark Wade dealing with very, very classic characters, and that is the Archie gang. Archie, Jughead, Veronica, Betty, Reggie, uh, and pretty much all of them are very good, but I want to singularly point out his collection of them, Volume 4, Over the Edge, which is issues 1822, uh, was written by him, and uh, the artist was Pete Woods. But it basically deals with Archie and Reggie get into a race, and there is a surprise person that is a, uh, not necessarily casualty, but is injured uh, from the race and has to go to the hospital and rehab themselves into uh, back into full health. So I won't ruin the surprise for anybody that um, hasn't read this yet, uh, but I, w- I feel very strongly that the Mark Wade run actually influenced the Riverdale show in that they showed the Archie characters in a more serious tone um, and taking on more dramatic elements and getting these great um, writers. Because after Mark Wade came Nick Spencer, and he did a fantastic run on Archie as well. So again, Over the Edge, Volume 4, Issues 18 through 22 for anybody collecting the floppies. So one of my highest recommendations that I've ever made on this show. So Wow. Even more than the Chip Zdarsky Jughead? I actually did not care for the Chip Zdarsky <laughs> Jughead. Oh, boy! It was a little bit too ha-ha for me. I just enjoyed Mark Wade. Mark Wade has this very nice balance of the comedy with the serious that I just don't think was missing. And then, plus, part of the problem with Jughead for me personally was the Jughead run from Chip Zdarsky actually splits between... Zardesky and the next writer, and the next writer did not do Jughead justice. There was a lot of, like, there was jokes that were written in the side panels of the... It was just very strange and off-putting. And Well, there you go. A recommendation and a anti-recommendation. No, no, no. <laughs> you should read Chip Zardesky's Jughead. It's very good as well, and I'm sure that we'll... If we're going to pick between the two, I'll take that, because I know you guys are very big chip Zardesky fans i'm just saying that again this is one of the highest recommendations i've ever made on this show so if you're if anything if you're listening to me talking about how great peanuts is this is one of my highest recommendations there you go and we hope that you check out more episodes of the last comic shop in future and you can do that by simply rate reviewing and subscribing over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com it's our terrific website where you can get all this stuff you can get Linus and Lucy and Charlie Brown and Lucy and Peppermint Patty and all these folks. No, you can't get any of that. But you can get tons of episodes of The Last Comic Shop, and they're all evergreen, like the Peanuts. We're all older, but <laughs> like the episodes are still worth listening to, so make sure that you do that. There you go. We strive for some of that timelessness that uh, Charles Scholes mastered. But while we might be the last comic shop podcast, we don't want to be the last comic shop out there. So we encourage everybody to get out there, find those shops that are going to be able to get you your Peanuts comic strips. 
Find things like the Calvin and Hobbes collections. Find things like Captain Easy. Or find things like those books by Mark Wade, including but not limited to World's Finest Teen Titans. Or Archie. Or any of that other stuff that Wade puts out there. He's just wonderful. But anyway, you can support us by going to our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where you can find all kinds of things like merch. What do we got this week, Jay? Well, I was going to say we have Charlie Brown shirts, but we'd probably get sued by the <laughs> estate of Charlie uh, Schultz. So what we do have is security blankets, because you can't sue us for that. That's <clears throat> right. You could just buy a bunch of our T-shirts and then just cut them up and, like, sew them together. That could be your security blanket. We would love to be your security blanket. Make sure that you stop down today to the last comic shop. We'll be making sure that you feel secure every single week. And we hope that you secure some other things, right, Ethan? Like secure a five-star review. Smash that five-star review, man, man. Come on. Give us a like. Please let us know what we're doing right. We enjoy the praise. If you've downloaded all of our episodes, this is the least that you can do is just give us a bang that five-star review button on any of your popular podcasting platforms. And also, if you need bags, boards, long boxes, Chad, we were just talking about these boxes that you can mail out. What are they called again? Gemini mailers. Gemini mailers. If you need those... Please go to bcwsupplies.com, use our promo code LCSPOD at checkout to earn yourself 10% off of the order. You're going to be buying this stuff already. I mean, it just makes perfect sense for you. It makes perfect sense for us. If you want to support our show, you can use that promo code at checkout, get yourself a little discount, and also show support to the people that bring you this great quality entertainment week in and week out. So again, bcwsupplies.com use our promo code lcspod at checkout save yourself 10 percent and save yourself a little bit of green in the process bcw supplies they're called rap mailers well it's time to put a wrap on this week's show i'm the host of the most andy larson i'm joined by chad smith j scott and the wonderful ethan larson and we hope you come back to the last comic shop next week until then stay safe Stay wishy-washy, and remember, if you stare out your window and see a weird-looking bird, probably just an early draft of Woodstock, it's not supposed to... He's not supposed to look like that, damn it! They got Peppermint Patty right in the first scene. Why do you can't get stupid Woodstock looking like that? He doesn't even look like... No beak. Then there's like the four of them. The strip ran for 50 years. You gotta give him some time. <laughs> He didn't need any time with Peppermint Patty. Do you, you remember what Charlie Brown looked like? How weird he looked in the 1950s? And he looked like a little bomb dropped on wherever peanuts was located. The last comic shop podcast was a 2024 Black Angus production.